everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Tuesday, December 20th. Amanda Borshel-Dan here with our senior analyst, Chaviv Retegur, and Knesset correspondent, Carrie Keller-Lynn. Hanukkah Sameach, guys. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to all the listeners and readers. Happy Hanukkah. So good to see you. We have a lot to cover, of course, including the passage of a first law pushed by the incoming coalition, warnings from the Deputy Attorney General on another bill, and a mic drop moment from outgoing Prime Minister Yair Lapid. Khaviv is just back from a trip to the States, and he has some thoughts. But first, a short break. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back. Now, before we dive in, I just need a little advice. I'm having some guests tonight, and I thought I might make some latkes. But every year in our house, we debate to add onion or not. So very quick thoughts, both of you. Onion, but you need to caramelize it first and then serve with sour cream. Interesting. Khabib, your take. Yes. <laughs> Great. Okay, Carrie, to more serious matters. We all waited last week for the incoming coalition to push through four bills. And yesterday, the first was finally passed. And essentially, it seems like it makes it harder for rebel lawmakers to peel off from their factions. We all know what happened to topple the previous government. So is this bill essentially a response to that? Yes and no. It's a response to something that the previous government did a year and a half ago. This bill removes an addition that government added that would make it easier for large parties to split off. Um, Basically, it says that no longer do you have this loophole where only four MKs can say, we're going to back away from a party without facing personal sanction. Now it needs to be a third of a party's uh, list uh, with a minimum of two MKs. And the reason why the four MK exception was created in the beginning was because this outgoing government wanted to pull away defectors from the Likud party. Uh, This was Likud-targeted legislation. Likud is basically removing this, especially at a moment when it's facing some internal discord um, as a byproduct of long built-up tension among party members. Likud is a big party. It has lots of factions, even within the parliamentary um, leadership of it. And also a lot of dissatisfaction among lawmakers for perhaps not receiving the jobs that they thought they would deserve after a year and a half in the opposition, as a lot of the plum rolls have already been handed out to Likud's coalition partners. Now, speaking about long build-up tension, current Prime Minister Yair Lapid. 
had some really strong words for the presumed Netanyahu government on Monday. He said, the incoming coalition has a new slogan, bite me. What were the reactions in the Knesset and elsewhere to that? I mean, the the reactions were quite expected. Uh, Members of Lapid's bloc were very on board with this message. It wasn't just bite me. Lapid was also reiterating a lot of the outgoing coalition's messaging on the incoming one, which is that it is going to erode Israeli democracy. It doesn't care about minority rights. It's not respecting the balance between Judaism and democracy in the state. Um, so this was all part of the bite me slogan. And, and Lapid was basically saying that um, the incoming coalition's answer to citizens, if citizens were to say, hey, these things bother me, is bite me or tikvatsulano. Uh, Netanyahu, of course, said, hey, Lapid, you clearly don't respect that we won the election and you didn't. So, you know, tough nuggies. Um, very common kind of opposition, coalition, interbantering. So, Gary, staying with you, Deputy Attorney General Amit Marari had some strong reservations about another bill yesterday, which, if I understand properly, would expand ministerial authority over police leadership and policy, specifically for incoming minister Itamar Ben-Gvir. So tell us a little bit more about this, uh, shall we say, problematic piece of legislation. So Benkvir is slated to become national security minister, which is essentially a repackaging of the police minister with some expanded authorities, some of which would be delineated by this bill. Now, this bill is being pushed through before the government even is formally seated because it is part of Benkvir's preconditions for swearing in this government. Of course, as you mentioned, there are also two others on the table, one by um, Betzalel Smotlich to become an independent minister in the Defense Ministry to oversee West Bank uh, building, meaning settlement building, um, and a separate one by Shas leader Arya Derry to help clear his path to being a minister despite his current suspended sentence for tax fraud. Um, so Ben bill has been the most held up in committee. Um, he proposed a new version of it yesterday, and the Deputy Attorney General said, this is still problematic. Uh, because Benkvir, you're trying to instantiate in law that you are going to be... Um, Basically, the the phrasing is that the police commissioner would be subordinate to the minister, which would be Ben Gvir, um, as well as under the authority of the government, which is political in Israel, because government doesn't mean a whole public sector apparatus. It means the ruling coalition of ministers. And she said, on the other hand, you know, you're saying that the uh, police commissioner is the highest operational authority, the highest commanding authority in the police. That was an addition that was added um, after legal advice was accepted. And she's saying there's no clear line as to whether or not there's a contradiction between the policy set by the minister and the policy set by the police commissioner, and that there's still an imbalance here, uh, which was criticism that was reflected by other members of the attorney general staff, as well as, of course, opposition lawmakers who are against this bill. Now, this bill is critical, is it not, for the coalition to be sworn in? And the clock is ticking. Remind our listeners what's going on here. So we have until tomorrow, tomorrow at midnight, uh, for Netanyahu to announce that he's formed a government. Um, Of course, he can ask for another extension. He has four days left on the potential extension clock. Uh, It's not expected that he'll do so. Um, Once he announces that he's formed a government, again, all of the pieces are in place. Really, what's holding this up is this kind of 
final um, battery of legislation, uh, which needs to be finalized before the government's sworn in. So he has until tomorrow to announce that he has the government and then seven days until next Tuesday to actually swear in the government. So that's the timeline for this legislation. That being said, even if the legislation doesn't fully finalize, I think it's very unlikely that we don't see a government sworn in. Uh, everyone in this incoming coalition knows that they are each other's only chance to be in power right now. Um, it would be very extreme for Ben Gavir to say that because I didn't get these police uh, regulation changes finished on the timeline I declared that that no longer will the right be in power after campaigning on the right's need to come back to power. Um, so I think that regardless, it'll happen. That being said, uh, Netanyahu's coalition partners are demanding these things up front because I think there's a, a lack of trust to some extent uh, between um, different players in this coalition. Netanyahu is, is of course, built a reputation uh, for many things, among them uh, making promises about roles and then not delivering. And we're seeing a little bit of this play where his coalition partners want this all finalized before actually giving him the government to swear in. So some drama, but not as dramatic as Sunday's World Cup game is what you're saying. I think so. And then this morning, there'll be a vote on the Bank of Bill. Regardless, it'll go back to committee and then it needs to come back for its uh, second and third readings, they're called. Those are the last two votes that need to happen. So there's still a little bit of ways to go, but it's moving. Okay, thanks, Gary. We'll go to a short break now. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. Khaviv, you're just back from a quick trip to the States, uh, your first for several years. And did you note any changes in the mood of the American Jews that you met? That's right, Amanda. Um, it was a remarkable trip. First of all, it was to a really fun and interesting and remarkable conference called the Z3 Conference at Palo Alto, California. I showed up saying Palo Alto, and they all corrected me. So it's pronounced Palo Alto, everyone. Uh, really the heart of Silicon Valley, little hotel room within walking, long walking distance of Apple Park and Twitter headquarters and all of that. And it was my first trip to the States since COVID. Um, been to Europe a couple of times for some work trips, but not the US. And it, it was all about, it was a conference that deals with Jews, Zionism, the relationship between Jews of America and the Jews of Israel, and all of the anxieties and troubles and pain um, in that relationship, uh, the deafness, the inability to really talk to each other. And so it was a day, it's a single day, it's a single Sunday, 
but the, the the day felt like a week because it was packed with conversations and panels and everyone I talked to was incredibly anxious. It was coming from in Israel that even though the conversation about it overseas is very anxious, Israelis are generally very relaxed people. That's not usually a stereotype, but compared to right now, talking to an American, dealing with political questions in America, it, there's so much anxiety there. And I have to tell you that one of the most important things that I heard there was this constant drumbeat about the relationship. And everyone talked about the uh, relationship with Israel and how relationships work. And sometimes in a relationship, you know, Israel's doing things, especially in the current government with, or in the new government that's going to be sworn in with Ben Gvir and Smotrich. They, they're, they're huge veering away from our values. What do you do in a relationship when your partner does something that you disagree with? And it was this way to frame the conversation that I found fascinating. And the more, we, the, more the day went on and the more I listened to people, the more I realized that the gap, the gap between Israelis and American Jews, the gap between uh, these two Jewish communities that together are probably 80, 90 percent of the Jewish world, not only has it is it growing, but it, it's it's almost entirely deaf to each other. In other words, the the the, the Americans are having this intense anxiety ridden, just since anxiety soaked debate about Israel. And Israelis are only barely noticing that any of this is happening. Now, Khaviv, you and I have uh, talked often off mic about how U.S. Jewry is based on what you call Protestant Jews and uh, Israeli Jewry is more diverse, shall we say. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, how this plays into this anxiety? It's one of the really interesting conversations that I had there was with an American Jew who shall remain nameless because I, I, I don't have their permission to take that conversation, but just the content of it, where we had this conversation about, you know, I, I said, what does the relationship mean? What are you talking about when you say uh, in a relationship, you have certain ways of, uh, you know, Israel is doing something you disagree with, scream at it. I'm an Israeli. I really, I don't understand. American Jews feel torn between the feeling, and I was told this a dozen times, I don't have the right to tell the Israelis what to do, but they're doing such terrible things at the moment that I disagree with so profoundly that I don't know how not to tell them that they're doing something wrong. To which my response was, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Someone's doing something you disagree, scream at them. And then it slowly begins to dawn on me. American Jews are, are yes, I want to say Protestant in the sense that Israeli Jews are Muslim. Now, I don't mean to insult either side or suggest that they're not Jews. But what I mean by that is that they have these basic assumptions about identity. To American Jews, Jewishness, all identity, not just their Jewishness, is is it flows from within, flows from that inner space that Protestantism created in the Protestant Revolution, in which redemption, instead of coming from the outside church or the outside community, comes from within. And the only way to know if I'm redeemed is myself and God, right? Those are the only two people ever or, or uh, figures who know whether or not I'm redeemed. And what is the priest? The priest is someone who helps me on my inner journey, as opposed to in the Catholic faith, where the church is the, the grantor of absolution, the grantor of redemption. And so this move of redemption, and therefore authenticity and authentic identity from outside of me into me, which is the great Protestant move, and one of the great steps toward really modernity as we understand it today, creates American civilization. There's no society more Protestant in that sense, more radically individualistic on this earth than America. You see it everywhere. You see it as much among progressives as among conservatives. You see it in, in the, the, the gender theory 
that is now the major gender theory of the American left is about how the only way to know my gender is to ask me because it flows from within me. That's where authentic identity comes from. So Americans in that sense are Protestant, lowercase p, quote unquote, Protestant. And American Jews are, and Israelis don't think that way, don't feel that. They come from the Muslim world. They come from Eastern Europe. They come from places that are Orthodox Christian or Muslim. They come from assumptions about identity in which identity is communal, is outside of myself. You want to know if someone is a Jew? You don't ask them. How the hell are they going to know? You ask their community and you ask the external things to which they cleave, to which they belong. These are two different structures of identity. And then you walk into a conference of American Jews after COVID with this government being sworn in in Israel that is causing a tremendous amount of anxiety, and you find something fascinating. American Jews talk about this as a marriage, and Israeli Jews don't talk about American Jews. But when they do talk about American Jews, they talk about them as blood. And so I realized that their their statement, we might fall apart, was what they were telling me. In a marriage, it's the most important relationship you're going to have, potentially, or one of them, or you might marry once or twice or three times, but those are still really fundamental uh, relationships that shape you in your life. Nevertheless, you can walk away from them, and that's hard and difficult and painful and tragic and all that, but you can. Whereas Israelis who think of Jewishness as not a relationship that you create, but a relationship that you're born into. It's almost like you are the child of your parents. You don't choose to be the child of your parents. You might not like your parents. You might love them, but not like them. It might be the biggest pain in the butt of your life, but you're nevertheless stuck in that relationship. And so they were saying, these American Jews were saying, we have this marriage and it might fall apart and that's causing me terrible anxiety. And I was standing there feeling like, what are you talking about? If we're doing something wrong, scream at us. Why? Because we're family. I'm still going to come rescue you from anti-Semites in some imaginary, you know, post-apocalyptic moment in which America turns on you in 20 years. I'm still going to risk my life for that. I'm Israeli. I might not talk to you for 20 years, but I'll still rescue you as Jews because we're we're tribe, we're blood, we're 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 each other's children. And so there's this difference of 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 thinking that that paradoxically creates a lot more anxiety on the side that thinks we're a marriage rather than a tribe. And it was it was a very strange experience, a very, you know, thing that once you scratch the surface, there's something deep happening there. The anxiety is growing. The millennial generation is much less interested in Israel and much less supportive of Israel than the older generation. Uh, American Jews are watching that with a lot of, a lot of concern and anxiety. They're watching what's happening in Israel with concern and anxiety. And they're genuinely afraid that we will fall apart in a way that Israelis are not afraid that we will fall apart. Not because they don't care about the relationship with the Jews of the world, but because they don't think it's something subject to, um, to conditions. It'll still be there even if we don't like each other. Chaviv, super interesting. I buy that we're family. I just hope we don't turn into Cain and Abel type family. All right. Chaviv, Kerry, thank you for joining me today and happy Hanukkah again. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.